0: Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Chloe, welcome to the show. Hey, it's my pleasure to be here with you. It's great to have you here. Thanks for taking some time out of your day to hang out with us here on the Grit Daily Startup Show. You know, Chloe, we love to talk about the world of startup on this show, the good the bad, and what we like to call the gritty, unintended. So I'm curious to learn what your experience has been in the world of of, of startup, or at least your opinion of that world. Uh, but before we get into all that, let, let's back up a little bit, help our listeners better understand a little bit more about you and your backstory and what brought you to present day with what you're doing with DRI.
1: Sure. I've had a very unusual storyline in that I dropped out of high school, went to college early. So I went to college when I was 15, and I graduated from when I was 19. And so what do you do then? You do something fun and interesting and different. So I ended up in the world of entertainment, in the world of theater. I worked there. I started my own company um, at the age of 19, and we ended up producing a play that was well-reviewed by the New York Times, was written up by This Week in Theater, went off Broadway, was super exciting. And then, of course, what happens to people who are working in the arts? You always have to have some other sort of job, right? And I always wanted to do something that I was learning or I was using my brain and uh, so I was always looking out for innovative opportunities to, to to work on something that would be a little bit different. And so I ended up being a personal assistant at uh, DRI. I thought I was gonna work there for one day. And nine years later, I became the CEO. So it's been a little bit of a wild ride. Basically, what happened was that I was a generalist uh, with a liberal arts background, uh, serving suddenly a field of, of specialists, technical specialists. And I just saw the world very differently and was able to fill gaps that needed filling. And I started uh, growing our practice internationally. So I was selling our training and licensing program outside of the United States. And obviously, I love every second of that. It involved travel, conferences, talking to people all over the world, helping um people, organizations, communities to become more resilient in the face of disasters, cyber attacks, terrorist incidents, whatever it was. And so I just loved that. And then eventually I grew that to be 40% of the business. And then I took on the the 60% of the business that was US-based as executive director and eventually as president and CEO, which is the role I've been in for five years. So I'm delighted to serve this community. We serve continuity and resilience professionals. We're a platform for the profession. And I feel like an
0: incredible honor to be in this role of service. Amazing. That is, that, that is one talk about work your way up. I mean, that, that is the uh, prime example of, of, of that story there. You said you thought you were going to be there for a day. Did you say?
1: I did. It's not quite the mail room, but it was, it, but it was close. <laughs> yeah,
0: that is uh it, it's always great to see um, things like that still happening these days uh, to mm-hmm. be able to know that, you know, I came in on the very, very bottom level, let's call it the mail room. And uh, <laughs> and worked my way up and i and i i now lead the entire company and and you guys aren't just here you guys are a worldwide company is that correct
1: yeah absolutely so we um we were founded in 1988 we serve professionals in over 110 countries we train in more than 50 countries and so our clients are 95% of the fortune 100 and uh, you know 24 of the 25 largest global companies for example so anybody who's in charge of preparing for the downside of risk for the impact of risk at a major corporation has probably been through our training program and holds our certification.
0: Love it. All right. So break it down for me. If I'm just, we're just, I'm a random stranger and I say, what do you do? And do you let me know that you're the president and CEO of DRI? And I'm like, what is that? I'm not familiar with how all of this works. How would you break that down to me?
1: Well, my brother-in-law thinks I'm in the CIA. So that's just the sort of the baseline, you know, that you get spy, you get people who are very, very confused. But really what we're doing is those people who are planning for something like a pandemic when nobody else is thinking about it. So if you think about COVID-19, right, when that sort of started happening, I was sort of a few steps ahead of everybody else, just from listening to all of these specialists who've been planning for pandemics for years and years and years. I go to all these briefings and I hear about like, this could turn into the big one. This is what would happen. And so I had books on my shelf about like the history of the Spanish flu. I took home the federalist papers. I took home how to survive in the woods. I mean, I was ready with all of the doomsday prepper kind of literature on what to do in a pandemic because these are the people who are planning when the sky is blue, when the sun is out, they're like, OK, anything could happen. We know that we have all these risks that could Im- impact us, whether it's a wildfire or a hurricane or a flood or an earthquake. And so you're thinking about the natural disasters, but also the cyber attacks or the different man-made incidents like the East Palestine train incident, for example. And these are people who are supposed to prepare for anything unexpected that could happen and have a plan in place for what happens when nothing is working properly. So like, what is the core competency that I have to protect to stay in business, to deliver for my customers or my constituents or whoever it is that I'm serving? And how can I protect that at all costs? So that when a disaster happens, we have a plan, we've tested it and exercised it. We know who the right people are. We can put together sort of an emergency operation and get through it as quickly and as smoothly as possible to get back up and running.
0: That makes sense. So very, very proactive approach.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's essential. And 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 uh, it's sort of like the most important thing that nobody's ever heard of, because of course, the media is going to cover it when there's a disaster and something goes wrong. But when something is a crisis averted, it's not something that's going to be covered. And in reality, like large organizations, we also serve governments as well. Um, they're they're putting out fires every single day. They have fairly large teams who are working on this because if they have operations in, you know, in Thailand, in Malaysia, in Brazil, in the US and Canada, all over the world, there's something happening somewhere every single day. So, So they are just constantly dealing with disaster, constantly dealing with crisis so that the rest of us can, you know, get on with our day job and do what we do best.
0: That's, uh, I mean, I, I didn't even know something like this existed, but I, it's a little refreshing. It's a lot refreshing, actually, to totally. uh, to, to, to know that it is. Uh, what would you say the hardest part of being the CEO of the company is?
1: You know, we deal with a lot of really challenging, really grim subjects on a daily basis. It's always, you know, there's there's a lot of loss of life property livelihood um we're always thinking about the the terrible things that can go wrong i mean if you have to sit through any of those fbi briefings about active shooter or terrorism it's really heavy it's really really heavy so you know i try to make sure that we're leading people first and leading with heart and taking care of people leading with empathy and making sure that people are taking care of themselves as well. Um, anytime when you're in a role of service, whether that's in business or in the nonprofit or whatever, it doesn't matter. This is definitely a role of service. And so people who are invest that much of themselves or mission-driven tend to overdo it. So you have to constantly kind of bring them back from the edge of burnout. And say, take care of yourself, it's really important because if if the disaster people aren't able to do that and lead by example, then how can anyone else be expected to do so? so I try, I try to set a good example, which is not always easy because I'm always wanting to you know, do more and, and grow and innovate and change. But uh, I think it's really important to, to make sure that we are taking care of our people first.
0: Yeah, it really is. That is a uh, grossly underrated strategy in business and realizing that, uh, you know, a buddy of mine once said, you know, just remember your employees don't work for you. You work for your employees.
1: Absolutely. I
0: never, ever forgot that. And, uh, you know, you know, culture and company first people first. And when you do, when you, when you lead with that, uh, the the results are astounding. Uh, what what would we say the best part about being the CEO is?
1: The best part of my job is again, uh, it, it all comes down to people, right? But it's also the message. I really feel committed and driven by the vision. I'm I get up in the morning and I am motivated by making the world better. I want to make a difference. I want to make the world a better place. And maybe I have a a unique um, perspective on this because I also teach at NYU. I teach about private sector partnerships. So I'm always trying to convince my students that they don't have to work for the government or the UN or nonprofit to really make the world better or make a difference, that they can do that in business. They can do that in the private sector, right? There are all kinds of ways in which we can make the world better and we can drive positive change that is the best part of my job. I know it's very clear to me that I am moving the needle that I'm making the world better every single day with what I'm doing. So that just infuses the whole thing with a sense of purpose. And I'm really grateful for that.
0: Love it. So what are you guys excited about for 2023?
1: Well, right now, the big focus so much, I mean, everything was pandemic, right? And Obviously, we were popular during pandemic. You wouldn't believe the calls we got from like name brand companies who were like, we've got nothing. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, So let's help you out there. A lot of me, I did a lot of media, I did a lot of other things. Now we're sort of back to the the cyber and technology piece of it, which is really important. And it sort of gets, uh, it was undervalued for a long time because you don't really get to the C-suite by being, you know. A master of technology for, uh, through the ID, IT department. Historically, that's not how it happened. So C-suite executives, board directors, they're sort of undereducated when it comes to cyber. The good news is that they've sort of gotten the memo on that and you see this like real drive to catch up. I do a lot of talking with C-suite and board directors of from big companies to small and mid-sized companies to try to educate them about these risks. And really our focus of it is, while your cybersecurity team is dealing with the technology component what you really need to know is how does this impact your business i mean we're doing this virtually right almost every business is being conducted from home virtually via zoom via all of these other tools if they go down if they go down do you have a, a workaround for your processes what are you going to do which impact which people are going to be impacted which processes which which products and how can you make sure that you're sort of backstopping and protecting your kind of crown jewels, your most important business uh, lines that are going to keep you up and running, keep you in business so that if a cyber attack comes, if a ransomware attack happens, that you know what to, what to do because these things are just becoming increasingly common. So, a lot of cyber, uh, cyber all day, every day, cyber resilience, making sure that companies know what to do because they're finding themselves on the front line of struggles that they didn't know that they would be facing and they don't always know what to do.
0: Well, that is definitely. I'm never a dull moment over there, huh?
1: <laughs> never, never, indeed. There's always something to talk about.
0: Well, it's clear you you enjoy what you do. You're deeply passionate about it. Your head and your heart in the right place for the role that you get an opportunity to play. So, I just want to encourage you to to keep up the great work. I know this is we talk a lot about the world of startup, and your company is far from a startup, but at the same time, you guys have embraced over the past what thirty plus years. Everything it takes to be able to build a successful startup, including how you run your business, where your where your priorities are, how you cater to people as well. So keep up the great work. It's been an absolute pleasure to meet you, to get to know more about what you guys are doing at DRI. And I encourage you guys to keep up the great work. Any final thoughts for our listeners, Chloe?
1: Yeah, so it, and it ties back to startup as well. One of the problems that we see with more mature organizations is that they haven't built in resilient systems and thinking from the beginning. So they end up opening themselves up for all kinds of risks that get bigger and bigger and bigger as they scale. Whereas if you involve um resilience, uh, a resilience mindset from the earliest days of your strategy that you're not just planning for the best case scenario or for the upside, but that you're planning for all kinds of risks, which can also be opportunities. There can be opportunity and downside. That's just a mindset shift. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, especially for a small, non-complex organization. And I think if more startups are thinking that way from the beginning, they can glean all kinds of creative lessons from how you create workarounds on, um, during disruption that can make their businesses stronger and healthier, even in the best of times. So I think having that resilience mindset shift from day one is gonna make all the difference.
0: Those are some great final thoughts, Chloe. Thanks again for your time and for being on the show. We sure do appreciate it. And you guys keep rocking and rolling over there at DRI.
1: My pleasure, thank you.
0: Until next time, friends. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends.
1: To swim is fun. British Swim School is welcoming all new students to start their journey in the world of water. The team of highly trained experts at British Swim School will show your little fish all the ins and outs of life in the water, while also sharing valuable knowledge on water safety. So, is it time for your kids to get their feet wet? Sign them up now at BritishSwimSchool.com. That's BritishSwimSchool.com. British Swim School. Make a splash.